Good afternoon and welcome to Isotopica here on Resonance FM, the world's most fabulous radio station. Uh, my name is Simon Tishka and I have a series of sonic detours to enchant your ears this week. We take a duck and a dive, we go left, we go right and sideways and end up somewhere near the end of this program in one hour's time. If you want real life details of this show and previous episodes, you can find them on www.theculture.net. Follow the links to Resonance, or Isotopica in fact. And without too much and further ado, I suggest you pin back your discerning ears and enjoy the journey. We thank you. Fire of his pale pupils. 
bright lamps, living opals, hypnotically fixed on me. Godavari showers and Granta Yavres Aman. Will we spread them here now? Aye, we will. Flip, spread on your bank, and I'll spread mine on mine. Flip. It's what I'm doing, spread. It's churning shield, their went is rising. I lay a few stones on the hostile sheets, a man and his bride embrace between them, else I'd have folded and sprinkled them only. And I'll tie my butcher's apron here. It's suity yet, the strollers will pass it by. Six shifts, ten kerchiefs, nine to hold to the fire, and one for the code, the convent napkins, twelve. One baby shawl. Could Mother Joseph know, she said. Whose head? Mother snores. They attach it. Where now are all her children, say? In kingdom gone, or power to come, or glory be to them, Father. All alluvial, all alluvial. Some here, more no more. More again lost a stranger. I heard tell that same brought to the Shannons was married into a family in Spain. And all the dunders de dun in Martland's Vineland, beyond Brendan's herring pool, takes number nine in Yangtze's hat. And one of Biddy's beads went bobbing till it rounded up lost history with a marigold and a cobbler's candle. In a side strain of a main drain of a man's in a hurry's off bachelor's walk. But all that is left to the last of the Mars, in the loop of the years prefixed in between, is one knee buckle and two hooks in the front. Dear, tell me that now. I do in troth, or are a proorbs at poor las animas. Oosaula, we're umbers all. Monsieur, didn't you hear it a deluge of times? Oofer and oofer, respond to spawn. You did, you did, I need, I need. It's that ear of wadding I've stoked in my eyes. It all but hushed beneath the sound. Oh, Ronoko, what short trouble. Is that the great Finn leader himself in his joy Pomona on his statue riding the high horse there for Hengist? Father of authors, it is himself. Beyond there, is it that? On Fanarine Common, you're thinking of Aspley's amphitheater, where the bobby stranger making sugar-stuck coats to the ghost white horse of the peppers. Throw the cobwebs from your eyes, woman, and spread your washing proper. It's well I know your sort of slop, trap. Ireland sober as Ireland stiff. Lord, help you, Mariah, full of grease, the Lord is with me. Your prayers. I thought so, Madam Angot. Why are you lifting your elbow, tell us, glazy cheeks, in Conway's carrigal-coloured canteen? Was I what, hobbledy hips? Flop. Your rear gates creak or Roman, but your butts disagree. Haven't I up since the damp dawn? Martin Mary, all a cook, with Corrigan's pulse and very coarse veins, my pram axle smashed, Alice Jane in the time, and my one-eyed mongrel twice run over, soaking and bleaching boiler rags, and sweating cold, a widow like me, for to deck my tennis champion son, the laundryman with the lavender flannels. You won your limp upon limp from the husky hussars. When collars and cuffs were there to the town, and your slur gave the thing to Carlo. Holy scamander, I saw it again, near the Golden Falls. I see one sense of light. There, 
subdue your noise, your humble creature. What is it but a blackberry growth? Or that dwyer grey ass and four old codger's owns? Are you meaning Tarpey and Lyons and Gregory? I mean, now thank all the four of them, and the roar of them, that drave that stray in the mist, and old Johnny MacDougall along with them. Is that the pool big flasher beyond? Far, far? Or a fireboat coasting near the Kishna, or, or a glow I behold within a hedge, or my Gary come back from the Indies? Wait till the honeying of the loon, love. Die, Eve, little Eve, die. We see that wonder in your eyes. We'll meet again. We'll part once more. The spot I'll seek is the hour you'll find. My chart shines high where the blue milk's upset. Forgive me quick, I'm going. Goodbye. And you pluck your watch. Forget me not. Your even load, so safe to journey's end. My sights are swimming thicker on me by the shadows to this place. I saw home slowly now by own way, my valley way. Oh, we I too, brought mine. Ah, but she was the queer old Skiosha anyhow, and Olivia Trinket toes. And sure he was the queer old bunce too, dear dirty dumpling, Fooster, father of Thingals and Doppergills. Gaffer and Gammer were all their gangsters. Hadn't he seven dams to wife him? And every dam had her seven crutches, and every crutch had its seven hues, and each hue had a differing cry. Suds for me and supper for you, and the doctor's bill for Joe John. Before, before, he married his markets cheap by foul, I know, like any Etrurian Catholic heathen, in their pinky, lemony, creamy burnies, and their Turkish Indian molds. But at Milked Mass, who was the spouse? Then all that was was fair, tis elven land, teams of times and happy returns, the same anew. Ordovico or Viricordo. Anna was, Libya is, Flora Bells to be. Northmen's thing made South Folk's place, but how multi plurators make each one in person, Latin me that, my Trinity scholared, out of your Sanskrit into our Aryan. Hircus Chivis Eblanensis. He had buckcoat paps on him, soft ones for orphans. Oh, Lord, twins of his bosom. Lord, save us. And ho, hey, for all men, what his tittering daughters of, walk, can't hear with the waters of, the chittering waters of, flittering bats, field mice, bark, talk, ho, are you not gone a home, what Tom Malone, can't hear with bark of bats, all the lifting waters of, ho, talk, save us. My goose won't moose. I feel as old as yonder elm. A tale told of Sean or Shem, all Livia's daughter sons. Dark hawks hear us. My whole head falls. I feel as heavy as yonder stone. Tell me of Sean or Sean. Who were Shem and Sean, the living sons and daughters of? Night now, tell me, tell me, tell me, Elm. Night, night, tell me tale of stem of stone beside the rivering waters of, hither and thithering waters of. Night.
the history of human thought recalls the swinging of a pendulum, which takes centuries to swing. After a long period of slumber comes a moment of awakening. Then thought frees herself from the chains with which those interested, rulers, lawyers, clerics, have carefully unwound her. She shatters the chains. She subjects to severe criticism all that has been taught her, and lays bare the emptiness of the religious, political, legal, and social prejudices amid which she has vegetated. She starts researching new paths, enriches our knowledge with new discoveries, creates new sciences. But the inveterate enemies of thought, <clears throat> the government, the lawgiver, and the priest soon recover from their defeat. By degrees they gather together their scattered forces and remodel their faith and their code of laws to adopt them to new, to new needs. Then profiting by the servility of thought and of character, which they themselves have so effectually cultivated, profiting too by the momentary disorganization of society, taking advantage of the laziness of some, the greed of others, the best hopes of many, they softly creep back to their work by first of all taking possession of childhood through education. A child's spirit is weak. It is so easy to coerce it by fear. This they do. They make the child timid, and then they talk to him of the torments of hell. They conjure up before him the sufferings of the condemned, the vengeance of an implicable God. The next minute they will be chattering of the horrors of revolution and using some excess of the revolutionists to make the child a friend of order. The priest accustoms the child to the idea of law, to make it obey better what he calls the divine law, and the lawyer prates of the divine law that the civil law may be the better obeyed. And by their habit of submission, with which we are all too familiar. The thought of the next generation retains this religious twist, which is at once servile and authoritative, for authority and servility walk ever hand in hand. During, the, during these slumberous interludes, morals are, ready, are rarely discussed. Religious practices and judicial hypocrisy take their place. People do not criticize. They let themselves be drawn by habit or indifference. They do not put themselves out for or against the established morality. They do their best to make their actions appear to accord with their professions. All that was good, great, generous, or independent in man, little by little becomes moss-grown, rusts like a disused knife. A lie becomes a virtue, a platitude a duty. To enrich oneself, to seize one's opportunities, to exhaust 
lost one's intelligence, zeal, and energy, no matter how, become the, watch, the watchwords of the comfortable classes, as well as of the crowd of poor folk whose ideal is to appear bourgeois. Then the degradation of the ruler and of the judge of the clergy and of the more or less comfortable classes become so revolting that the pendulum begins to swing the other way. Little by little, youth frees itself. It flings overboard its prejudices and begins to criticize. Thought reawakens, at first among the few, but insensibly the awakening reaches the majority. The impulse is given, the revolution follows. And each time the question of morality comes up again, why should I follow the principles of this hypocritical morality? asks the brain. Released from religious terrors, why should any morality be obligatory? Then people try to account for the moral sentiment that they meet at every turn without having explained it to themselves. And they will never explain it so long as they believe it a privilege of human nature. So long as they do not descend to animals, plants, and rocks to understand it. They seek the answer, however, in the science of the hour. And if we may venture to say so, the more the basis of conventional morality, or rather of the hypocrisy that fills its place, is sapped, the more the moral plane of society is raised. It is above all at su it is above all at such times precisely when folks are criticizing and denying it that moral sentiment makes the most progress. It is then that it grows, that it is raised and refined. Years ago the youth of Russia were passionately agitated by this very question. I will I will be immoral, a young nihilist came and said to his friend, thus translating into action the thoughts that gave him no rest. I will be immoral, and why should I not? Because the Bible wills it, but the Bible is only a collection of Babylonian and Hebrew traditions, collected and put together like Homeric poems. Or as is being done still with Basque poems and Mongolian legends. Must I then go back to the state of mind of the half-civilized people of the East? Must I be moral because Kant tells me of a categoric imperative, of a mysterious command, which comes to me from the depths of my own being and bids me be moral? But why should this categoric imperative exercise a greater authority over my actions than that other imperative, which at times may command me to get drunk? A word, nothing but a word, like the words providence or destiny, invented to conceal our ignorance. Or perhaps I am to be mortal to oblige Bentham, who wants me to believe that I shall be happier if I drown to save a passerby who has fallen into the river than if I watched him drown? Or perhaps because 
such has been my education, because my mother taught me morality. Shall I then go and kneel down in a church, honor the queen, bow before the judge I know for a scoundrel, simply because our mothers, our good, ignorant mothers, have taught us such a pack of nonsense? I am prejudiced, like everyone else. I will try to rid myself of prejudice. Even though immorality be distasteful, I will yet force myself to be immoral, as when I was a boy I forced myself to give up fearing the dark, the churchyard, ghosts and dead people, all of which I had been taught to fear. It will be immoral to snap away. It will be immoral to snap a weapon abused by religion. I will do it, were it, only, were it only to protect against the hypocrisy imposed on us in the name of a word to which the name morality has been given. Such was the way in the youth of Russia reasoned when they broke with the old world prejudices and unfurled this banner of nihilist, or rather anarchist, philosophy, to bend the knee to no authority whatsoever, however respected, to accept no principle, so long as it is unestablished by reason. Need we add that after pitching into the waste paper basket the teachings of their fathers and burning all systems of morality, The nihilist youth developed in their midst a nucleus of moral customs infinitely superior to anything that their fathers had practiced under the control of the gospel, of the conscience, of the categoric imperative, or of the recognized advantage of the utilitarian. Before answering the question, why am I to be moral, let us see if the question is well put. Let us analyze the motives
This is London.
When we patrol the police, people might imagine we were right behind a police car. No, we might be four or five blocks away. We just drive through the community, and if we see the police arresting somebody, we were going to get out of the car with our shotguns, tape recorders, law books. By this time, we got about six or seven members doing this. All of us got guns. How we got our guns was fantastic, though, too, the first guns. The little red book, Chairman Mao Zedong, the thoughts of Chairman Mao Zedong. Huey calls me up one day, he says, Bobby, I know how we can raise some money to get some more shotguns. I says, how, man? He says, the little red book. He says, all over the news. He says, I heard you can buy them at the China bookstore in Frisco. He says, wow, good. How much money you got? Him? I said, I don't know, I got 40, 50 bucks. Boom. So we run over to the China bookstore. We buy up about 100 of these books. Got our guns strapped on our side. I got a 45. Huey's holding a shotgun. Little Bobby got a carbine, but we got these little bags hanging over our shoulder with little red books. Get your red books, one dollar. We will buy them for 20 cents and sell them for one dollar. Berkeley campus at Savior's Gate right there. We sold out in a matter of an hour. We took this hundred bucks. We go, we buy some more red books. We did it. We made about two, three hundred dollars. We went around and bought two shotguns that day with the little red book. We hadn't even read the thing. <laughs> I mean, most people think that we came up with this hardcore ideology related to mindset. We must have sold it there in book two or three months before we decided to open the thing and actually read the little red book.
celebrated their 25th, their civil wedding anniversary here, and all oh, the great and Speak, Harry. We are watching and waiting, Harry. 
Turn off this pulsating motor of joy and life energy. Orgasmotherapy is the program of sex pull, as taught by the revolutionary doctor and communist Wilhelm Reich. The bioelectric charge and discharge produced by the genital embrace causes the orgasmic reflex, supremely pleasurable muscular contractions. Subjection to social disciplines may cause gastric ulcers, respiratory, coronary, and vascular diseases. Comrade lovers, for your health's sake, the communist movement fights for the liberation of man's natural impulses and joy of living. 4,000 liberating orgasms in every woman's and man's life are 4,000 explosions of liberated life energy. Body tissue deprived of life energy turns cancerous. Cancer is the hysteria of cells condemned to death. Cancer and fascism are closely related. Fascism is the frenzy of sexual cripples. The swastika owes its magnetism to being a symbol of two bodies locked in genital embrace. It all stems from a longing for love. Comrades, make love joyously and without fear. Let the current flow sweetly up your spine. Let your hips roll and your mouth water. Saliva is good. 
Embracing lovers radiate a bluish light, orgone illumination, the same sort of light the astronauts saw in outer space. Let us reactivate the natural vibrations within ourselves and society. Let the current stream sweetly through your muscles. Feel free to tremble and cry. Let yourself enjoy your body. As revolutionaries whose revolution renounces love, we feel very uncomfortable. What's happening to the revolution? Each baby is a new approach to life. How can we help this new being to grow up free? The man who discovered orgone, cosmic energy, the energy of life and love, fled from Hitler and Stalin to America, land of the free. He gave up the ideologies of his youth, eventually voting for Eisenhower. In Maine, he set up the Orgone Laboratory, a scientific research center. How can we rid our planet of its deadly clouds of smog? How can we make the deserts green and fruitful? It all stems from a longing for love. 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 Read me. This is Dub Revolution. Use it to rock the nation. Yeah. 
la 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 la